Today's lecture concerns Dream of Moons, White Enculturation, and Angela Davis's Obsolescence of Housework, and how those two pieces and the arguments internal to them deal with our more general arguments for self-determination and what self-determination entails in our institutional relationships. All right, so we've considered before how self-determination requires interactions with other free beings in the world, and everything that you do is determined by the fixed nature of whatever you're interacting with. That's why if you are going to be free, the thing you are interacting with has to be free and explains why there's a hard limit to the kinds of relations and the kinds of determinations I can give myself if I can only interact with a rock or a chair or a tiger. Since there is a hard limit to the kinds of interactions that I can have with these natural objects, there's going to be a limit to the kinds of determinations I can give myself relative to those natural objects. For example, I can't be a tennis player. I can't actualize myself as a tennis player if my only tennis partner is a tiger because tigers don't play tennis. And for me to actually be a tennis player, to realize myself as a tennis player, I need someone who's going to play tennis with me. And in this way, I don't get to determine myself to be what I want to be because the tiger simply is what it is. So what does this have to do with housework? The things we consider housework, cleaning, cooking, and childcare, are fixed by nature. They have to be done. But for our interactions with the mop to be free, that means the mess would have to be free, but the mess is fixed. So we have to do what we have to do to get rid of the mess. Right? So in doing housework, we're interacting with something that is fixed. It's not a creative endeavor. It's not a, a self-determining endeavor. We are determined by the fact of the mess or the need for eating, right? Our biological nature, which is not a matter of self-determination, right? So, and this is not a matter of our will. So even if the work has to be done, it's necessarily going to be unfulfilling because it is not the work of self-determination. And eat, look, I know you're thinking, well, you know, my mom likes to cook and yeah, I, I, love, to, I love kids. Yeah, but even if you like to cook, clean, or watch three-year-olds, you don't want to have to do it on nature's schedule, right? You don't want to have to do it every day incessantly. Even people who love to cook don't want to cook Monday, like every day, three meals because they have to, Right? Um, you want to cook because like maybe you have this recipe that you want to try out or you enjoy it as a relief, but not like on a schedule because you have like demanding five-year-olds who only eat mac and cheese. All right. So there are two issues at play. A lot of this housework is off the market and in a market-based society, it's not even considered work. And that's what Davis talks about. But the big issue and since it's off the market, we have to take this issue seriously, is why is it so primitive? Why is this work so primitive? And in a market-based society, we've let markets drive innovation, right? So the work has stayed primitive for a few kind of dicey reasons that, that, that Davis, I think, does a pretty good job detailing. And housework is necessary but it's uncreative because you're dealing with the fixed nature of the mess or the fact of animals having to eat but it's uncreative so what have we done with other necessary but uncreative things we've socialized them subsidized them and industrial and more importantly and the most importantly we've industrialized them for example meals 
how much easier would it be if everyone had like a voucher and with this voucher would pay for 80% of a private chef who would deliver meals for six families in the neighborhood? And you're thinking, why would that be better? Look, I don't know if you've done industrial cooking, but if, you've been in, if you're in an industrial kitchen with like all the infrastructure and the knives and everything, bigger pots, cooking for nine or 10 and cooking for 69 or 70, there's a difference, but like not that much. After about like eight or nine, we're just talking about like more potatoes and more tomatoes and more cans. And, and so it's not... 10 times the work to cook for 70 as it is to cook for seven. It's, you know, one and a half and two times the work. Um, if you have the infrastructure, right? It's more chopping. But uh, it doesn't take six times the effort. And that means a chef could deliver these meals with leftovers to all the families. And all the families would have to do is find five other families that all share the same dietary preferences. And this way, everybody gets the equivalent of a home-cooked meal. And you don't have to worry about the salt or the shortcuts that are driven by a profit motive finding shortcuts and little additives and addictive substances screwing up your, you know, quality of the food. Right? So that would be an industrial, that would be an, I'd like kind of a conception of industrialized meal prep. But remember, it used to be the case that people took their trash to the heap themselves or burned it themselves as a matter of personal responsibility. But now we've industrialized it and it's better. We have professional sanitation workers who go from house to house and, you know, gather your trash. And that's a better way to live. It's, it's, it actually enables us to be freedom and it's sponsored by the state. So would house cleaners be that much different? You know, an efficient team of like three unionized, well-played people going from house to house uh, once a week. That, you know, I, David says actually that would be better. It would be actually an institution of freedom, right? Davis argues that an efficient team of well-compensated cleaning experts, you know, you tax and then this is where we put tax money to going from house to house would be a form of industrializing labor that is fundamentally unfulfilling, right? Sometimes you like to clean, but you don't want, every, like if you have, especially if you have kids, like there's always mess. There's always more laundry. Like I don't, after about, I suspect, I have three kids, but I suspect that after, after like five or six, you could always be doing laundry. Like just always be, just like laundry. Just, the laundry could always be going, right? And it's going to be unfulfilling because, and that's fixed by the kid's mess. It's not, a, a, a mutual, an interaction of mutual willing that like, I decide to do laundry because we, I'm a, we're both emancipated from our, you know, nature. And so we decide to do this activity. It's not going to be the case. Laundry is something that has to be done. Um, and if you don't know, uh, laundry is a huge time suck before the, before the automated washing machine, like laundry could take, 30 hours a week, man. Like the process of it. And if it's, if it's really primitive. So we need to further industrialize housework in a way that's, that's serious and takes it seriously as a, as a, something that's necessary for self-determination, the socialization and industrialization of housework. All right. So I suspect you have all sorts of feelings about this and you know, I don't know, sit down with your parents, have them watch the video. And she says, even the strategy of like just making sure that each spouse does 50-50% of the work, that doesn't change the fact of it being primitive. We need to industrialize it, socialize it, and subsidize it with professionals 
and as a matter of freedom, right? So sit with your parents in front of this video, have them read it, have them read the Davis article, talk about it over quarantine. I don't know. And now we're going to talk about the dream of moon. Now the dream of moon, um, it's tricky because I've never taught this virtually. And I'll tell you the truth. Sometimes white people have a hard time seeing that whiteness is an ethnicity, not a pigmentation. It's an actual cultural, like, artifact that we've made and reproduced and, inst and in institutionalized. And you're just going to have to get over that first step on your own because I, I can't really hold your hands through it over the internet. But just think of whiteness, not as pigmentation, but as a culture. Um, I mean, you could go make the harder argument that it's actually, a, it's an anti-colonial, I mean, it's a colonial culture that like needs blackness. Um, in order, because, uh, you know, people in Europe didn't become white until they became the, came to the United States. Uh, the Irish were Irish, and then they, became, they were white when they got here and, you know, started treating black people like garbage. So, and having common cause with other uh, Catholics and Protestants. So, like, there's, whiteness is a cultural artifact. It's a thing. It's an ethnicity. And uh, you're just going to have to take that step with me over the internet. And so we're going to go through what moon has to say about it. And so we spoke about how in this class, we've spoken about how all of our relationships occur between free persons. They have to occur under pre-existing institutions, right? Because if it's, if I'm dealing with a free person, that person can do anything to me. And so like, that's how I know these pre-existing institutions are how I know strangers just won't come up to you and knife you just because. Right, now, Moon suggests that the family is where brute animals are institutionalized into people. It's also where white people learn how to treat people, including all the lies we tell other people about how we treat people. That's where you learn the lie. That's where you learn manners. For better or for worse, that's where we learn it, in the family. Right? So that's where white people learn how to white. And this is Moon's argument. I think it's, it's actually a pretty good argument. And she, she does the inverse that non-white people, and especially black people, uh, she did some interviews, and it turns out the family is where they get a respite from whiteness. Because you have to understand, so with Moon's conceptions, uh, you learn whiteness in the family, and then it starts to infect all major institutions outside of the family. And so everybody who's non-white still has to participate in... Uh, institutions governed by the norms of whiteness. And so they get a rest from those institutions when they go to their family. That's when they can actually like not be on white people's terms, right? So your family is where you learn how to respect the right people as people and who, and your family is also where you learn who to treat as mere tools, as mere means to your own end. But then it gets reinforced in other institutions and built in other institutions like schools and churches and the workplace. And uh, there's a dark side. And remember, the dark side is that the home is where we learn who's but to kiss and who to treat on the other side like they're disposable. Right? And so there are two incidents in, in Moon's piece that I think are really telling. One was the incident where the lady was in a business meeting and the boss made an awful comment and the lady spoke up and she did it, um, you know, with courage and all of her colleagues were quiet because they lacked courage. And at the end of the meeting, uh, one of the colleagues kind of came up to her and thanked her, you know, thank you for saying that. That was really nice that you said that. 
And the lady thought, like, you know, I could have used you in the meeting. Like, how, like why, why, thanking me quietly after the fact doesn't help my job, doesn't help the standing, doesn't help the, the struggle. So you have to think about all of the institutions that teach us that it's okay not to stand up in public as long as you give them your confidence in private. Like someone had to teach the colleagues the structures of cowardice insofar as it's okay that we not back the, the right person at the time as long as we tell them privately afterwards. That has to be taught. That's a skill. That kind of cowardice <laughs> needs to be practiced and you need to watch other people, your parents or your other parishioners, like that kind of hypocrisy and kind of way to conceive of responsible action is a skill. What? And that has been taught and we have institutions that teach you to talk one way and do another way. And I'll tell you that black people take a lot of risks alone only to be told later, including moi. Well, you know what you did was really brave. Thank you. Could have used you at the time, man. Could have used you at the time. So moon does a good job about talking about how the fear of being alienated from your family does a lot of work on policing the boundaries of whiteness and does a lot of work on policing your behavior. So you find yourself doing dicey things because if you revolt, for example, you tell your bumptious uncle to hush, um, your membership in the institution of your family is jeopardized. And that means jeopardizing your inheritance. That means jeopardizing a lot of the perks that come with you know, depending on who you talk to, whiteness, right? So are you willing, who teaches you not to jeopardize those perks for the sake of justice? That is a skill. And so you're dealing with that ideology and that ideology is transmitted for Moon. She sees it transmitted through the family and then kind of metastasizing from there and going to other institutions. But you have to think that all of these kind of habits of cowardice, uh, habits of cowardice and courage and what we think of as appropriate behavior are taught to us and institutionalized. And maybe it's like, what does the family do in terms of that? And Moon thinks it's central. And also the next step the Moon doesn't make, that means if you're going to dis dismantle that, that means we need to start talking about how we're going to dismantle the family. I'm just saying that's just the next step. And not just dismantling. There's this famous report called the Moynihan Report. It came out in the 70s about how, like, the problem um, in America, the problem with black people is the black family. It's, so it's like the Negro family as, like, the case for renewal. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a big influential report that says, like, you know, all of, all of the problems in the hood have nothing to do with, with, you know, artifacts of white supremacy and terrorism. It's all to do with, like, black family structure. And uh, very influential report. I don't agree with much of it. There's another report that came out um, a little bit earlier called the Kerner Commission. I think that's a little bit, a little bit more on the nose, but that's fodder for another video in another class. Right. So another example Moon, example Moon did, I think a good job with, is how some folks are given to confuse addressing the manners of racialized oppression with the realities of racialized oppression, right? And this is, piece was written in 1989, but I think it's still relevant to the moment because we have to ask ourselves how much of the backlash against our current president, President Trump, is about his manners versus the reality of his policies. 
And what does that mean about us? Right? And there would, how many of those people would be fine with the same policies if they were presented by someone who was more polished and more genteel? Right? So a lot of people have a problem with Trump because it can be said because, you know, he uses the wrong, he doesn't know what I use a salad fork or like he's gauche or déclassé. They don't really have a problem with the policies. And that's maybe, that's a form of how manners and whiteness actually sustain um, oppression. Because if you find yourself being very, 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 very excited about manners and the appearance and not so much about the reality, it's because you're invested in the perks of having this certain reality. You just kind of want it covered with a better legitimizing myth. And, you know, think, so think about how what you've learned in social dominance and the Davis kind of work with the moon and what you know about your life. And I know I said a lot and you might start bringing up all sorts of feelings, but you know, this is, this is the work, right? So thank you for your time and I will see you next week. Peace.